Welcome to Crosspoint. 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 An interactive program featuring ministers and leaders of the Christian community addressing the issues that are challenging the church today. Here's your host, Mark Taylor. How does a person today talk to kids in the public school setting about the LGBTQ stuff, the canceled culture, critical race theory, and so on of the social justice indoctrinations being taught today? Well, welcome to Crosspoint. My guest, Chuck Mason, is going to help us kind of navigate through all of this maze of misconceptions about our children today and what they are faced with. Well, today on Crosspoint, we've got something that does need to be talked about, folks. It's uh, talking with Chuck Mason today, and we're talking about how do you talk to your kids about social justice, and that's a lot of that stuff going on, this indoctrination of our public schools. That's the title in the book, How Do I Talk to My Kids About Social Justice. Chuck, looking here in the book, you know, you do the introduction of the book here, And you say something that's really true. It says, trust your intuition as you engage this culture. The situation is dire and our kids are at risk. There's no doubt about it. Our kids are at risk and there's people actually after our children to change the way they think, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. This has been an intentional, um, there's an intentional agenda that's gone on for a better part of a century. The people that they have a different ideological viewpoint, and it is really hostile to Christianity, recognize that they weren't going to be able to overtake our worldview um, through revolution. And so they, they came up with something they call the long march through the institutions. And this was actually a, um, a program that was actually put forth where they said, we're going to take our ideology into uh, the school districts, the universities, into, into government. We'll go in like we're just like you, like anybody else. Once we get in and established and get tenure, then we're going to make sure that this, our ideological position becomes um, the positions of our institutions. And that's really the way they've made it in, and that's what's happened to our school districts. I know that, uh, you know, this is really got started, I guess, ahead of maybe the public school system was a little more prevalent in the college system and stuff, and then it's kind of bleeded back down into the public school system? Oh, absolutely. That that was basically the first line of attack. And they knew that if they could get people coming through the um, university system, then they were just seeding individuals all throughout our culture um, who, who took this worldview with them. It's essentially Marxism and variants on Marxism. Did you happen to see, one of the things I thought was fascinating this summer, did you see the movie Oppenheimer? I did not. Okay. Well, one of the things, and it was a wonderful historical film, but one of the things, if anybody has seen Oppenheimer, that you can actually see this very thing at work, was Oppenheimer was visiting friends of his at Berkeley, okay, you know, University of Berkeley out in California, And, and they were all Marxists. They were Marxist revolutionaries who couldn't be as revolutionary as they wanted to because they were, you know, part of the faculty at university. You could see how radical they were in the 30s. And so this has actually been um, a part of our system for a long time. There have been uh, some surveys that were done several years ago when they took just a look at the social science faculties, so not humanities or other parts of, of the liberal arts sections of colleges. But 20% of the faculty of social science um, professors at universities across
across the country were avowed Marxists. And that's astounding when you think about that. And so they're probably, and they didn't, they didn't uh, take a look at the humanities department, but it's no doubt just as extensive as that. So they've been making a lot of ground within our institutions, and you're right, they started within our universities. You say on page 12 of the book, the battle for our kids is a struggle to answer this fundamental question of how do we decide who is right when people make competing claims about truth and reality. And today, um, that is being very prevalent in our school systems of what's right and what's wrong and who's telling the truth and who's uh, making up lies or misinformation, as they call it. Yeah, it's one of the central points of the book, and one of the things I wanted to do in the book is not only give parents the strategies and information they need to be able to challenge the impact of the narratives with their kids, but I want people to know that we do have two different competing worldviews in, in, in America today, and those worldviews, they're antithetical and they're irreconcilable. They're using two different sets of criteria to determine what's real about our world and then what we will, what's appropriate um, within society. It's really two different ways of discerning what is real and what is our moral framework as we move forward to decide what's acceptable, what's unacceptable, what our schools are going to teach, what are um, everything from lifestyle choices up to concepts of justice. The traditional America works from a biblical worldview and that biblical influence that came from our founding. Um, and the uh, the other side is really working from a Marxist perspective today. And, and there's no way to reconcile, to reconcile these. And, uh, and it's really what's driving our culture war. I thought it was interesting that you had brought up the fact that, I hadn't thought of it this way, but this drag queen story hour stuff that they put out, and they're not just doing it in our schools, they're doing it in our libraries, public school, you know, city libraries and stuff. But this is something that helps them in achieving what they're trying to achieve. And I didn't think about it being a help to them. I just thought it being another problem. But actually, it's being used that way, is it not? It certainly is. The basic theory of it, we live in what we call a sex-positive world. And from this Marxist viewpoint, um, the critical theory viewpoint, all of our social, all of the parts of our identity, our sexuality, our gender, are social constructs meaning it is, they can be whatever society decides that they want them to be. So in that case, in what we call a sex-positive world, they consider every form of sexuality the same as simply a handshake. It's no different than any other interaction that you have. So there's nothing wrong with a drag queen in within that viewpoint. So what they're showing kids at the earliest ages is that any form of sexuality and lifestyle expression is acceptable and that kids need to learn how to accept that and to see those as being normal and to see that you you know you don't ostracize people what they're really trying to say is drag queens are just like anybody else and we don't treat them differently and and this is just a normal expression for of their identity and sexuality for that person and when you can start young with a child, you can dramatically shift their viewpoints about what they believe and what they hold on to. And it's it's very effective. You say here in the book as well, at the end of Chapter 2, it says your ability to challenge social justice narratives will depend on how well you understand these two worldviews and how they operate. Uh, so now we're into the place now to where do people really understand what's going on I know they're becoming more well-informed of it, but do people still really know what's going on? 
No, they really don't. Um, and to be really honest with you, I this is always a journey for me every day to I get a new level of discovery about the layers of this onion as I go through. One of the points that I try to make to people over and over again is we, we got caught flat-footed with a lot of these things. We didn't think any of this was possible. But what we didn't realize is that we have been going through um, easily 150 years of intellectual development within philosophy and theories about knowledge and humanity. And, and those things have been brewing. We really have been disconnected from that, your everyday American and everyday Christian. So that we turn around and we go, where in the world did this come from? What is this? Well, it's a, hundred, it's a product of 150 years of fairly complex intellectual thought. And for most people, they really, it's almost impossible for them to understand its development. I was fortunate because when I went to, when I went to seminary, when I started my MDiv process at Fuller, I knew I wasn't called as a full-time pastor. I mean, I knew that in my heart, but I, I got the MDiv, which was pastoral training. But partway through that, my journey, I had to take a class in philosophy. And I stumbled into postmodern philosophy in that class and what it was going to do to culture and all the predictions of where we would be today. And I was utterly fascinated with it. So I've kept up with all of these ideas for almost 30 years now, over 20, well over 20 years. And so I'm fortunate in that regard. But if, if an individual and a parent doesn't have any exposure to these ideas and how they work, they're really going to be you know, mystified as to what's going on and what they can do. I know you say that it's imperative that parents understand the underlying ideology that is behind the woke culture. And the woke culture, that really sees life kind of through this Marxist worldview. Is that correct? Absolutely. So Marxism is becoming the moral framework for the progressive left and um, everybody who's involved within woke culture. So it's really important for people to understand what this is. I have to be careful because there's a lot of information and I don't want to overwhelm and confuse people. But basically, here's the thumbprint for like the big overview of Marxism. Marxism looks at the world from what we call a materialist point of view. It really doesn't ask questions about God, and in many ways, it, it rejects our uh, existence of God, period, certainly Christianity. So the question becomes, if God doesn't exist in somebody's mind, and if they don't think God exists, how do they explain things like, where does your personality come from? Where does suffering come from? Okay, what do we do to end suffering? Can we reach a utopia? Out of all of, so Marx attempted to answer those fundamental questions. In the absence of God, society controls everything. And what Marx said was a, a society that's set up from, on exploitation, where people are taking advantage of other people, what they end up doing is they end up forcing people into lower class, into poverty. And when people experience poverty, they don't have the resources they need to live. They experience suffering, early death and that was needless, and Marx considered that genocide. And he also felt that, that the exploitation on those levels drove every negative experience that humanity had, from starvation to death, to starvation to war, to famine, to genocide, to crime, all of that. So what he proposed was, we need to totally reorder society so everybody has equal outcomes. 
So nobody is kept from their life experiences in any way, shape, or form. So today, the social justice movement sees America as inherently corrupt because we have all these differences in outcomes. They call them inequalities. And um, they could be an inequality of, of wealth. Jeff Bezos has tons of money. People are in poverty. It could be inequalities and in experiences. We as Christians would say we don't want drag queens in our the drag queens kindergarten drag queen story hour. We um, we are not going to have transgender students or transgender athletes competing again in like a, uh, a male competing in women's sports. All those things deny people their fundamental rights and fundamental accesses to society. So what they're saying is we need to totally deconstruct every part of American society and reconstruct it to reach equity, which is equality of outcome for everybody. Nobody's restricted from from their access to materials and experiences and resources. So the social justice movement is trying to totally redo the entirety of American society to reach that Marxist equality. Now, Chuck, if people wanted to know more about your book, how could they find out more about it? Well, you can go to my website, battlegroundideas.com. That's the ministry I have where I can create as many resources to help equip people fight the culture war. Um, If you go to the website, you can download a free copy of the first chapter of the book, so you can read that. Uh, You can also find the book through the website. Okay, now you also do a podcast, is that correct? I do. I have podcasts up there. Um, I take a look at the um, intellectual, so we talk about being in what we call a post-truth culture, a post-Christian culture, or what is Marxism, um, what is the LGBTQ agenda, so I have a, a, a series of podcasts that will give people basic information there. I'm putting podcasts up on, on the resource for churches to help uh, parents, you know, with this journey. What do I do if my kids no longer engage the Bible? You know, what is social media doing to our kids, the flight from faith? So they can find a lot of podcast information there. Now, have you pushed other books before and things like that, or is this your first book? This is the first book. Um, But I know that you're also involved in trying to be influential, you know, in in our state and federal legislatures. And I know speaking to churches and parents, trying to wake them up about what's going on, correct? Yeah, definitely. And the book came out of a lot of the public speaking that I was doing. People were just telling me, you've got to get this into some kind of resource. And so I, I decided, because of my own journey with my own sons and dealing with the impact of woke and them being in public schools, I decided to create the resource for parents because I felt that that's a place that really could, you could make an, an immediate impact. All right, folks, we're going to be back with more. Stay tuned. Are you a Christian who likes to read? If not, there's a whole world of Christian publishing out there that you're missing out on. I invite you to check out the Author's Corner podcast, where I talk to the latest Christian authors each week about their new book releases and what's coming next. So if you're ready to jumpstart your spiritual growth with the newest books and the authors who write them, check out the Author's Corner podcast with me, Roberta Foster. This is Mark Taylor. If you miss a broadcast of Crosspoint, you can always go to our website at www.kneo.org and click on the programs page. There you can access the current Crosspoint program as well as the last four programs that have been aired. Never miss another Crosspoint program again. Go to www.kneo.org today. 
Welcome to Crosspoint. Hey, we're today talking a very good discussion with Chuck Mason. How do I talk to my kids about social justice? And that's where we're at today here. And right now, uh, we're on chapter three here, Chuck. And it's entitled, The Time You Spend Together Makes the Difference. And at the bottom of the page, you say conversations that ask questions are crucial uh, when you challenge LGBTQ stuff, the critical race theory, because you say the questions expose the failures of these positions and way kids can accept and understand. So how do we get that place where we need to be spending that quality time with our kids and talking about these issues? One of the things I found in my own journey with my my sons, dealing with the impact of woke with them, is you can't argue your kids out of these positions if woke has had an impact. You can't come and bring these knockout arguments. You can come with scripture. You can, but if but if they're in if they're entrenched and they're influenced, they generally will not hear those. They're going to react. So one of the things that I found, and and I I did this with my own sons. I mean, they would come back with these sympathetic to woke narratives and I would react and I would, you know, I'd give them my best quote-unquote argument position and it would just be fireworks. So I had to step back. I had to say, these are my kids. I am not going to lose them. I just used my training from my MDiv in terms of apologetics and argument. And the most effective thing you can do in those situations is ask a question because questions force people to open up into their assumptions. And the only way that they can give you a good answer is if they have listened to the assumptions that were in the question and they processed them. That forces them to hear the information that you're giving and think about the argument you make because it's embedded in the question, because that's the only way they can give you a, a really good, well-considered well response. So that's why the questions are critical. But the process of, of asking questions to kids doesn't work well at all if you haven't built relationship with them. And that is all about spending time and having quality conversations about things other than social justice, yeah. other than the impact of narratives. And that's, that's the first place that parents need to begin if they're, if they're concerned and they want to make a difference. Now, you talk about in this book the children are kind of indoctrinated, indoctrinated and about in two different main ways. They're dealt many different ways. But those two mains, point, point those two main ways out. Well, there's two things that end up happening here. We're transitioning to something called post-truth. And post-truth, we used to use logic and critical thinking and common sense to figure out what's real about the world. So, we, like, if, if in terms of gender, you would say we'd take a look at somebody named Aristotle. If we, science would tell us that Aristotle has a Y chromosome. Logic, we would do this. Aristotle has a Y chromosome. All men who have, all people that have a Y chromosome are male, therefore Aristotle is a man. What they want to do today is we're shifting into where people are using our feelings and emotions to determine what's real. It's what Ben Shapiro always says. Facts don't, facts don't care about your feelings because people use feelings. So today it's Aristotle has a Y chromosome. Aristotle feels like a woman, therefore Aristotle is a woman. And they want kids to be able to start seeing the world through that lens. And also, they want kids to use Marxism, this oppressor-oppressed narrative, to see the world through that, that lens. So morality now becomes about, you know, not is it from a biblical perspective, which is what America was founded upon, 
But now our moral virtue is by recognizing inequalities, bringing those to an end and bringing equity or this global equality. And they're being pushed in different directions on an ongoing basis. So when they hit a narrative in school and they and a kid writes a paper, like my, my youngest son is still in high school, and he's not woke by any stretch. But he'll come to me and he'll go, Dad, i got to write a paper in English, and, and I, if I don't write it from this perspective, what, what am I going to do? How am I going to frame this argument so that I don't get a bad grade because I didn't follow the ideology? And so kids are being leaned on extremely hard in those, and in, in, in it, it's very hard for them if they finally embrace the counter-perspective and want to go against the grain. You know, I think it is, and you talk about it here in the book, Chapter 4, about how crazy things are. Um, looking at page 50, you talk about the trans athletes overriding the feelings of an entire group of young women, you know, to be acceptable. And you say it's essential to capitalize on questions, again, about furries, People I'm not here probably listen to the program don't know what we're talking about, but you're going to tell them here in a minute. And these different people that demand to be accepted by like they're animals or fairies or something like that, it's really what you called emotional preferences. And people don't realize that these schools and stuff are actually putting litter boxes in classrooms or in bathrooms because people think they're a cat. And you go on with this, you know, so if people say they're a frog, are you going to raise your kids like they're a frog? And you say, be prepared for the reactions you're going to get, but calmly remind them that this is the world we live in. But this stuff is really in our face today. Well, it absolutely is. So the way that people conceive of gender on the left today, okay, in the transgender movement, there are two things. It's post-truth, like I mentioned. Our, our, Our feelings and our emotions dictate reality. And the second goes back to something that's called social conditioning where they feel that people are blank slates. If there is no God, um, then how do we arrive at gender? It's We are just blank slates that society makes concepts of gender that imprint upon us. So that's what's gender. So gender can be any idea or any concept that people create. And so how do we know whether uh, someone is a man or a woman? Today, if they feel they're a woman, their emotions dictate reality. I call this post-truth social conditioning. Well, if we are completely social conditioned across the board, that goes for race and that goes for any other concept that humanity can conceive of. So if I say that I feel as though I'm black, even though I'm not, I'm white, if I emotionally identify with being black, then I can claim that I'm black. If I feel as though I'm a cat trapped in a human body, that's a social construct. And if my emotional content affirms that, then the rest of the world must affirm that for me, which means that they're, they're, they, have, they call these people the other kin. They call them cat kin, fairy kin, frog kin, tree kin. And that's where this goes if you ultimately let it run its course. So this is where the idea, this is where the fight is. People that are totally committed to this position would want to have a litter box and a cat, a litter box in a in a bathroom in school, because they want this understanding to become law of the land. And so, if you're fully committed, you're going to let it run. What I would look at my kids and my son, who is sympathetic to the transgender, my oldest, when he got his first year in high school, and I had to ask them, this is where the questions come in. And he's like, "Well, you know, a friend of mine is transgender, and he's a he's a girl." And I'm like, "Well, okay, let me ask you some questions." 
If his emotion is going to say, I'm a girl, okay, what if I say, I'm black? And he was like, you can't do that. I'm like, well, yeah, you can. If it works for gender, it's going to work for race. I said, so what if I say that I'm disabled? Because I feel disabled. And I said, I've worked a lot of physical work in my life. I wake up in the morning, I'm in pain. And he's like, well, you, you can't do that. And I said, well, I said, so what if I say I'm a woman? So what, what if I say, can I be a black disabled woman and go to Penn State University for an affirmative action hire? He's like, no. And I said, well, so if your son comes to you, if you have children and your son says, hey, dad, I'm a frog, are you going to be forced to raise him as a frog living in your house? And it was those kinds of questions that made him go, oh, wait a minute. These have deeper implications and ramifications. And if this post-truth social conditioning goes the whole route, and I, I want to remind people, and I'll close on this one with this, the minor attracted person, these are pedophiles. They are bringing their rationale to have sexual intimacy with children based upon this very concept. And if this, this is where it's gone to this point. Well, I do like what I'm seeing a little bit of pushback from some of the parents. I'm, you know, seeing them where they're, you know, going to these school board meetings and standing up to some of this ideology that's going on. I, I have talked, you know, you think, well, this is only in the big city schools, but it's not. It's in the country schools as well, uh, because I've talked to school board members that have told me they've allowed those type of books into the library because if they didn't, they were going to get their funding pulled by the federal government, uh, Department of Education, whatever, is all behind this. So we're not just fighting a school board, but we're fighting a government that's trying to indoctrinate this through the school system to our children. Well, 100%. If you go to whitehouse.gov right now, you will see that, that, and it says very explicitly, the goal of the Biden administration is to achieve equity in as many areas of society as they can using government. That is the Marxist model, and that is this model, period. And the things like this Title IX, which would, which would mandate that any school district anywhere in the country must allow transgender athletes, that would be a biological male, to have access to whatever locker room and whatever um, female sports activities they want. So if a school, and I work with school districts, I have a resource on my website that you can download that walks you through what LGBTQ is and how to draft policies against this for your public school based upon evidence of, and reason and logic, like I'm saying. But if you, as a school district, if they pass restrictions on trans athletes, then they would lose their federal funding through the Biden administration. And most states at this point in time, because if you have a, a liberal state or a democratic state government like I do here in Pennsylvania, they're putting these in the curriculums through the State Department of Education. And so these principles then get into curriculums in terms of how schools, what schools must teach. And what we're facing with conservative district in the with the school districts and conservative districts that I work with is federal funding isn't always a lot of money. The state funding is huge, and so people are recognizing that if this gets crammed down through your state mandates, that if you don't go along with this, you're going to lose your state funding, and then uh, entire communities are going to have to ask themselves how they move forward because of this seeing a big exit in our public school system, aren't we? We definitely are. And um, 
we definitely are, which one of the strategies I tell parents, if you're concerned about this, fight as hard as you can within your state system to have um, a voucher system, school choice. Because I know in, in where I live, in the county I live, we have, have about four school districts. One is exceptionally woke, one is moderate, and then we've had uh, two others that are, have fought against this and are very conservative. So a parent in the woke school district, could, if they had a voucher system, could take that funding and go to the non-woke system and they just transport their child. They could get around that. So that, you're absolutely right. And parents are looking at alternatives from Christian schools to some charter schools, um, and and they're beginning to emerge. All right. Now, again, tell us, uh, Chuck, about if somebody wants to know about this book, how would they go about doing that? Once again, you can go to my site, battlegroundideas.com, and you can download a free chapter. Um, the, free, the first chapter is there for you to download. You can learn more about the book there. The book is on Barnes & Noble. It's on Amazon. And also, if you have any questions... You can email me at chuck at battlegroundideas.com. Would love to hear from you. Love to help you in any way I can. So people can correspond with you on some of these issues. Oh, they absolutely can. You can get a hold of me through the website. Also, I have other resources, too, that will help parents in this. In-person forums I do to uh, help churches understand uh, two-thirds of our kids are walking away from God when they get out of the house. I do a whole series on those, a series on how you, you apply the book, and uh, really a broad-based look at what we can do to help protect our kids. Okay, well, you mentioned churches, and we're going to bring that into our discussion when we come back, so folks, stay with us. God's Word speaks truth. God's work speaks life. And God's Word speaks to us today. Hi, I'm Pastor John Marins of the Granby Christian Church. Each week we explore God's Word together on In the Shadow of Your Wings, a radio broadcast on KNEO. Tune in each Saturday at 6.45 p.m. to hear the show. And if you ever miss it, you can always view the archive online at kneo.org. We also have the program available as a podcast as well, so you can listen anytime, anywhere. It's available from Sky High Podcast Network. I invite you to check out the show and learn more about our incredible God and how He cares for you. You can trust Him. You can depend on Him, and you can rest in the shadow of His wings. Making a difference in someone's life may be easier than you think. You just feel God with you all the time when you're listening to the radio. I feel Him with me. Share God's power and your hope. I'm a much better person because of it. (laughs) 91.7 The Word. You're listening to Crosspoint. I'm Mark Taylor, your host. My guest today is Chuck Mason. Chuck's written a book, How Do I Talk to My Kids About Social Justice. We're talking about critical race theory, LGBTQ issues cancel culture and you just go on from there all the things that we're having to deal with today that's indoctrination of our public school systems and chuck i know you probably have got churches involved before or tried and have you found sometimes that the churches don't even understand a lot of this stuff and or maybe even some pushback from them well they don't and again i want to reiterate if you don't understand these these ideologies it's totally understandable they're very complex. They've developed over a long period of time some complex philosophy and um, theory behind it. Uh, and, and so I, I totally understand um, 
why people are really hesitant at times. But I do have to tell you, Mark, that I can't tell you the reticence that I have encountered with churches uh, that simply haven't wanted to get involved. Um, and you know, I can't. I've had so many off-the-record conversations with pastors in which they'll tell me that they're extremely concerned. Uh, they don't know what to do, um, but they're very leery about bringing discussions about woke into their churches, because not all churches are full of everybody being conservatively minded and theologically conservative, like we had 10, 15, 20 years ago. There's a diversity of thought within most churches today. So they're worried about stepping on people's toes uh, in that regard. They're worried about pushback that they can get. They're worried about turning their congregations upside down. Um, And also, you know, they don't have the tools and the resources to be able to speak about these things intelligently. Uh, And so they've just been really reluctant to really get engaged and and that's been that's been difficult but but things are progressing i think what they also did mark was they sat back and they kind of kept an eye on it going well this is kind of pretty uh, extreme maybe this will burn out and they're realizing it isn't burning out and it's affecting everybody and that they're getting involved so now they're kind of turning around and going okay yeah what do we do i know you say that the marxist movement is really a dangerous ideology I know it wants to, Marxism denies, you know, God's influence in the world, even the existence of God. And then this is causing some Americans, you know, to start rejecting a biblical worldview because they embrace these Marxist visions and think everything's fair and they got to be tolerant and the equality, you know, all those kind of things. And so this justice, social justice movement that you're talking about, it really allows kids to have a spiritual values, but really without the constraints of Christian morality. Is that kind of the way it is? A hundred percent. And that's what's got our kids right now. That's what's pulling them out of the church. They don't. People don't know this is Marxism. It, 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 we, they're hearing about a fair and equal and fairness and equality and a new sense of justice, and they're going to stamp out racism and help save humanity from its suffering here in, in, in an earthly realm, and it does, it gives them a spiritual component. But the more important influence for them is that Marxist morality is totally 180 degrees different from our biblical worldviews. Let's be really honest here. When you're talking about a young adult, Christian morality in terms of sexual purity and, you know, being sexual, you know, we abstain before marriage, we, we married to one person and we, we protect the sanctity of that marriage and uh, throughout our lifetime, that's thrown out the window. We're told that's repressive, and that the new sexuality for these kids is really anything goes. So you're, that it becomes a virtue today. So morality in the in this social justice world is all about reordering humanity to stop injustice, and you can have whatever lifestyle you want. And kids are flocking to this. They they get a sense that having a sense of godliness and uh, without with lacking it's the form of godliness that lacks its power, and then they have freedom to pursue lifestyle, and it's celebrated. And when you're talking about a young adult getting their freedom in the world, it's very seductive, and it's one of the biggest influences pulling them out of the church. Well, from going through your book here <clears throat> and learning about social justice, <clears throat> I can see the bits and pieces of how 
you know, they're using all this to try to tell, for some reason, that, hey, you've been doing this all wrong. This is the way that needs to be happened for our kids to really succeed. They have to have this type of a new way of doing things in the social justice system. It's almost like a version of climate change. You know, if we don't do these things, the world's going to perish. And yet, it's worked all this time, but people are buying into it. Well, they are buying into it. And part of the, the broader work that I do is, is taking a look at what's happening within the church and what's happening within the culture. And why? And so the question becomes, why are people engaging Marxism? There, there are a lot of different important components in that. One of the biggest is people just are not in churches as nearly like they used to be. People are really walking away from the church. We've known numbers decline. There was a very interesting statistic that came out this summer from Gallup. Only 30% of Americans have been in a religious service within the past seven days. And that's not a Bible-believing church. That's any service. That could be, uh, it could be, they could be Muslim, they could be Baha'i, that could be Christian science. So the percentage of people in a Bible-believing church on a weekly basis in America is very, very small. When people walk away from, from Christianity, when they walk away from God in a Christian context, they don't live as atheists, and they don't live as Christians. They look for a new form of spirit, something that meets their spiritual needs. And this is what social justice is doing for them right now. So as they leave the church, they're in a bit of a spiritual vacuum, and they look for something to give them meaning. And that's why, if you're listening today, people are now beginning to call woke what it is, and it's a new secular religion. The part of the book you talk about perspectives, that's your chapter there. Page 99, you say, My deep concern for the culture divide grows daily. I don't see a way forward if people continue their indifference toward the current trends. You say people are angry but still disengaged, and most don't even know who's running for a school board in the next election. And you talk about our emotional outpouring of outrageous insignificance for the times. We must recognize that anger is not the same as attending school board meetings to challenging indoctrination. And you say the days of practical engagement are here, and people need to be doing this, don't they? 100%. And I'm just as guilty as anybody, okay? Meaning that if anybody in the church and any listener to the program says, where do I start? First place we start is... Number one, in our own homes, starting to engage our kids, get the book, start learning, find out what you can do to begin to challenge these and to help build relationship with your kids. The second place is in our churches to keep our kids engaged to make sure that they're walking into discipleship with Christ. Okay, now, the third step that we have to begin to do, if people are going, where do I get started in the culture war, you start in your school district, because we need to stop the indoctrination immediately. So we have to start knowing who's running for school boards. Um, more and more conservatives are running. We need to support them to get elected, and we also need to support them once they're in there, because they can't do this on their own. They need community support to be able to um, change these policies. But I want, want people to recognize that because America had such a strong biblical foundation that influenced our culture and the structure of our culture— I think all of us assumed that it was going to perpetuate itself, regardless of what we did or didn't do. And, and, that's, and that's a myth. If you think about what happened in the nation of Israel, think about the kingdom under David. And then but Solomon comes, 
and then by Solomon's death, he at Solomon's death, the kingdom splits. You have one son takes the northern ten tribes, and that becomes Samaria. My point is, is that nations can flip, even nations with a with a biblical basis can flip in a very small amount of time if we remain indifferent, and we can't. We do have to be involved in making sure who's running and who, who is elected on every level, and we also have to make sure that we're out evangelizing in our communities, which we haven't done. We have to really work to take our culture back, and uh, we can't be indifferent any longer. You talk about Chapter 6. It's entitled, Conform to Be Cast Out, and that's exactly, I believe, where we're at today. We've got, well, you've got pastors that are afraid to be cast out of the pulpit and thrown out of their church if they don't go along with what's going on. Uh, you've got people that uh, will lose their job in the public school system, teachers that refuse to call students by some name that they're actually not. And so we're finding this going on and on, and we're seeing people filing lawsuits and everything else simply because of this whole social justice movement. Yeah, 100%. We have lived a very comfortable life as Christians in America for generations, and we're finally looking. It's almost like the book of Daniel. You know, or we're going to have to stand up within our own culture and face the backlash. The, the cancel culture works to make sure that everybody conforms to these policies. And in our in our digital world, they can have a pretty it can have a pretty far reach. And and it is you know when you think about if I stand up at this school board meeting or I take a stand, is this going to impact my job or is this going to impact my business? I worry about that because I'm, you know, I support my ministry and my business through my job. I mean, through my business that I have. Um, but remember that the gospel in every age requires us to stand for truth, regardless of the immediate consequences that we, we experience. Um, and our our indifference and in not being engaged in our culture has brought us to this point. And uh, I think we need to recognize that, it, that there could be some rough times. But, but the Holy Spirit and, and with, you know, with Christ as our model, and also the apostles, what they had experienced, we could, we could be in store for uh, some difficulty. Chapter 5 of the book, um, just last place I want to go there, is, uh, you talk about there on page 73 about how the police are always you know, being accused of targeting people, and especially if they're of a different race and stuff like that. And then they give all these narratives, they give all of these statistics, but you say one thing there on the bottom line, you say, but the facts don't support the narrative. And that's really where we're at. We're being told a lot of stuff that doesn't add up, that there is no facts to back them up, but they push this through to our kids and got them to believe it's truth when it's not even near the truth. And this is another one of their ways to move people to the place where they want them, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's, a, it's an ideological interpretation of the world. It's an indoctrination. And the kids aren't, aren't given facts. But that's our battle in terms of standing for truth. And it's one of the points that I make within the book. So, you know, we can argue uh, if you're going to present these um, and challenge my, these ideological positions, we use facts. And what you talked about with race you know, it's the whole element of police shoot black individuals in America at much higher rates than whites because they're targeting because it's systemic racism. When there is a black um, professor at Harvard named Roland Fryer who essentially won the, the Nobel Prize in economics, uh, it's a medal, it's the equivalence of that, for his work that showed that 
the statistics show that, in fact, police are not shooting black individuals at higher rates. They're not shooting black unarmed individuals at higher rates. And we're told that, you know, the police, it's open season on young unarmed black men. When the statistics in the Washington Post's own website show that uh, it's the, the number of unarmed black men that are unarmed people that are shot in America in a year is less than 200, and the, the percentage that are black, even though each one is a tragedy, and it absolutely is, they, the the statistics, the reality that we see in the world, that facts and data don't support those narratives. So when our kids are told that in school and they come home and they say, hey this is just racist cops and we need to defund the police. Your response is, I've got some statistics here that show you year after year after year that that's not the case. But you're right, we're not hearing that within schools today. And that's the role that we have to take as parents. Again, the book's entitled, How Do I Talk to My Kids About Social Justice? And you're talking about protecting our kids from the woke adoctrination of the public schools. So, Chuck Mason, tell us again how people can find out more about this book, about your podcast, and how they can interact with you. Well, my, my website is battlegroundideas.com. You Google that, it'll come up for you. And uh, not, the book is there, but there are a lot of other resources that uh, you'll see right on the front. It says, Equipping You to Fight the Culture War. And that's what my ministry really is all about. Um, and so I really invite everybody to go to the website and take a look at all the resources that are there. There are um, some free things that you can download. You can get a free uh, copy of the first chapter of the book. You can find the book on Amazon and also on BarnesandNoble.com. But please take a look at uh, of the information that I have on the website. If you're really, as an individual or your church, is wondering, hey, uh, we've got to do something. Where do, where do we begin? I can walk you through it with the resources on the website. You can go from how do I talk to my kids to how do I formulate public policy to push back within my school districts or county government or even business for uh, LGBTQ critical race theory and the DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives that are really dominating everything. Well, Chuck, we appreciate you being with us here on Crosspoint today and uh, continue the good work that you're out there doing. Thank you, Mark. I can't tell you thank you enough and honored to be here and to be able to share with you and with all of your listeners. Uh, And once again, God bless you. And just thank you. I really appreciate it. Well, folks, uh, good information today that we got from Chuck. Um, Man, how do you talk to your kids about social justice? Well, there's a lot to talk about in this day and time. A lot of the problems we have is because of what they don't know what's in this book that's in my other hand, the Holy Bible. Folks, we need to know God's Word to help us to understand why we're having to deal with issues like Chuck wrote about here today. Folks, you need the Bible in your life because it's a living Word. It doesn't die. It contains everything you need to know about how to deal with the issues of this life and the road that gets you to eternal life through Jesus Christ because the Bible's inspired words of God. It doesn't matter who you are. It works for everybody. They're never outdated, none of these words. This book will direct your life if you want to follow it, and it contains the most important words you're ever going to read and certainly ever follow. Be sure to join us again next time as we again discuss issues that are affecting the church. Have a great week and allow God to use you for His purposes so that greater things can be done. Make your life count in God's plans for eternity. I'm Mark Taylor. Crosspoint is a program produced in Studio 101 at KNEO Radio. Not all of the views on Crosspoint reflect those of the management or staff of KNEO.
you may contact the Crosspoint program at 10827 Highway 86 East, the Osho, Missouri, 64850, or by email, crosspoint at kneo.org. You can hear Crosspoint four times a week, Saturday morning at 1, Saturday afternoon at 2, Saturday evening at 9, and Sunday evening at 7. You can also listen anytime online at kneo.org. Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri is proud to be sponsoring this portion of broadcasting on KNEO. Owned by Judy and Danny Harper, Harper's Kennel of Stella, Missouri specializes in French Bulldogs. For more information, the phone number is 417-628-3083. 